1: Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hi and welcome to Car Stuff, I'm Scott
3: And I'm Ben, you are you As always, we are joined by our super producer, uh, Dylan, nicknamed to be assigned, Fakin uh, And, of course, Noel the Madman Brown Scott, today we're talking about one of, I don't know how you feel about this, but we're talking about one of my favorite things
2: What is it? Land yachts, Oh, yeah, the giant vehicles, right? Huge Mm -hmm. vehicles. And it encompasses a a larger portion of the 20th century than I thought it did initially. I I don't know why I hadn't uh, cast my mind back far enough in this one, but uh, we're talking about a a, a group of vehicles that can be lumped into this that started in about the 1920s Mm -hmm. and go all the way through the 1970s. For some reason, I just have it stuck in my head that the, the true land yachts, come from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. But I, I just completely have forgotten how large some of those older cars could be, like the old Duesenbergs.
3: I knew you were going to say Duesenbergs. Yeah. yeah they're they're massive and monstrous. Uh, and, and part of that, you know, of course, is miniaturization uh, techniques that, that evolved over the decades you know, just back in the 20s, if you wanted a certain amount of power, the engine was just going to have to be that large and that long. Yeah, exactly. And
2: we'll get to power, by the way, because yeah. that's an interesting part of this whole uh-huh. whole tale. And uh, we should get this out of the way right up front here. It's a uh, This comes from a listener's suggestion. Yes, yes, yes. Our good friend Rudy Smith wrote in and uh, and said that he would he, he writes in with so many topics that, that I we have a hard time covering everything that he he uh, he writes in for. Now Sometimes it, I, I include it in a Facebook post or something because uh-huh. these are fantastic ideas. Um, <laughs> He's our correspondent. He is. You know, there's a few people that write in that we take a lot of their idea, like a high percentage of their ideas. As
3: mm-hmm. a few mm-hmm. of
2: those listeners that are like yep. that, but uh, but Rudy is definitely one. He's got some good ones. And uh, here's the note. It says Scott and Ben after seeing a mammoth Lincoln premiere at Old Car City, which by the way is a about an hour from here, uh, we should totally go. We really should. He's, it. he's he's been there, and we haven't been there. When, Man, what does that say? It's I mean, he's our correspondent. He's dedicated so that's part of it, dedicated to the cause. Uh, so after seeing a, a mammoth Lincoln premiere at Old Car City, I was inspired to think of land yachts. I might think I think it might make a good to- uh, show topic. How long were they? How much did they weigh? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are they different from cars? In the area that were not considered land yachts. Um, how do they compare in size with today's cars? He said to see some of them. It looks like they were uh, there was like an arms race to see who could make the most gigantic luxury car. <laughs> and the term conspicuous consumption comes to mind. And then he lists a huge. He's got a huge list of, of links, mm-hmm. and this helped us in choosing this topic. I'll tell you that because a lot of the research was already done. It's already da- out there. So, hey, shh. spoilers. Oh. <laughs> got- <laughs> <laughs> well, if you provide a link, that helps a lot because then we know where to begin, right? Right. And right. This is, that is true. This is a good beginning. There must be twenty links here, but uh, he's talking about hoods and fins and uh ridiculous luxury features and of course big v8 engines mm-hmm. um you know <laughs> miles per gallon if that's a thing really Oof. more like gallons per mile yeah <laughs> um and some examples and then of course you know the, the question over the uh the longest ever u.s production vehicle made and we'll have an answer for that at the very end I promise. we
3: do okay we'll save it for the very end well somewhere near the
2: end maybe but but maybe what we should do is mm-hmm. describe kind of what a, a land yacht might be so that people understand, because there's a couple of things that have that similar mm-hmm. moniker.
3: Yes. Okay. That's perfect, because uh, some people will tell you that a land yacht is an umbrella term for RVs, recreational vehicles. It kind of makes sense. That makes sense. But that's not what we're talking about today. One of the, for some people, uh, a land yacht... Or a lead sled, or a yank tank for our Australian friends out there, and watch me pronounce it correctly: Melbourne and Brisbane. Nice work. Did I do that? I think I messed up the other one, I but
2: I think you got it right. But uh, that's a new term for me, by the way. Melbourne, I got. Well, not those <laughs> terms. I mean, uh, I don't mean those. I mean the the yank tank. It makes yeah. sense when you think about
3: it. Yeah, right? that's uh, that's uh, apparently Australian slang for what we would consider land yachts, but also for SUVs, and sometimes. Like growing up, I would think a land yacht. I know it when I see it. You know, mm-hmm. I would feel like I would be able to, if not, articulate a solid definition. You know, like based on time periods that I could definitely see something and go give it a hard yes or no.
2: I, I think ninety nine percent of our audience is that way, and I think it's kind of like uh, you know the definition of uh, of other things where you say right. I, I don't, I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it.
3: Right, right. Or if someone's, and you know, there will be. Other people with a more narrow or a strict definition. Yeah, like right?
2: a focus direction. Like it has to be this this length. The wheelbase has to be this. It has to be created within this time frame. Like
3: muscle cars and pony cars. Yeah,
2: exactly. And, you know, there's, there's a uh, again, a long history of, of land yachts. And we've got this list of about 50 modern vehicles. We'll not go through the whole list, but I, there are some surprises on the list that I thought we should bring up in this podcast. So we'll get to that at some point, in the, I promise.
3: Yes. And uh, as we proceed, we'll say that one of the, I guess, one of the most common definitions that I keep finding that pops up is the idea, uh, this comes also from a Jalopnik article, that land yachts describe the largest full-size cars made by U.S. and German Automakers from the 50s to the 90s. I don't agree with that definition because I think, you know, I think it does go back further. I think the 20s. uh, We we see like, you read my mind about the Duesenberg stuff. But up to the 90s, I mean, I'll be honest with you, man. I was driving some cars when I was a kid that I thought these are land yachts.
2: Well, sure. Yeah, you're talking about the big Bonnevilles, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, those were. those. Even to me, those are big land yachts as well because they were they were making other cars at the time that were a lot smaller. So mm-hmm. this was the top-end vehicles for the manufacturer. You know, they had the most luxury features. Yeah. They were the softest ride. They were the most comfortable. They were the most expensive mm-hmm. also in a, in a lot of cases because um, they could cram everything they wanted on there and size wasn't a consideration. Cost wasn't a consideration in a lot of cases. So um, you know, they'd have the biggest engines. Yeah, um, they, they had the characteristics I guess, of, of, you know, trying to motor through a um, uh, a docking area, you know, trying to trying to uh, park in a parking lot. It's the same way, you know, <laughs> the, the big, long, slow turns that you had to oh, make. Oh, yeah, they're not um, nimble. <laughs> no, not in, not in any way. And, you know, I mean, I think most people probably have some kind of experience, whether it's, you know, with. Grandparents, you know, driving the Cadillac or you uh, know, the Bonneville like you yeah, had, or yeah. um, you know, friends in high school that had some giant old vehicle, you know, like a big Delta eighty eight or something. That right. uh, it's like a couple of couches inside a, a, a you know a moving vehicle. Yeah. You can drive around and you can bring as many friends as you want. Uh, you know, a lot of people have some really good experiences in these land yachts from from the past. You know, like nostalgia mm-hmm. uh, is brought up. I guess every time that you you see or or think of one of these, um, man, where do we go with this? Because it is it, these are full size cars. Mm-hmm. The the uh, Again, the, the, the focus, I guess, was on uh, soft ride and comfort and luxury. Definitely. So, so handling is not really anything to consider here. Yeah. No. You would think they would have, like, the most powerful giant V8 engines that they could possibly cram in there, but the case was they put maybe the biggest V8 engines they could in there, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily the most powerful that they had, as we'll find out.
3: Right, right. Um, and then also... When we talk about power, you know, weight becomes a factor because these are
2: heavier. Yeah, weight was a huge factor in these vehicles, so, so they had to have these big V8 engines. But, you know, you think, well, this is really, again, as Rudy said, conspicuous consumption. But, um, you know, at the time, fuel economy wasn't a concern. Uh, no, this it, is all
3: pre-oil crisis. Yeah, exactly.
2: So, you know, the low gas prices, um, there's really no environmental concerns at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there there probably were, but no one is really focused on it. It wasn't a regulation at the time that they had to meet. Um, you know, there's just so much to this. There, of course, there's the, uh, you know, the, the population itself that, you know, this was, uh, this was meant for. Right. The, the, yeah. Let's say the middle class, upper middle class, you know, that sure. are the, these big full-size luxury vehicles, um, they're... Well, the prosperity, I guess, is increasing. You know, they're, 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 uh, they're gainfully employed. They're making what they consider to be a lot of money at the time. They might as well uh, use it to show off a little bit. And it,
3: and it was, yeah, because if we're talking about what people would popularly describe as the heyday of these vehicles, then we're talking about post-World War II economic boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this goes into another important difference because we talked uh, – we mentioned – that some German manufacturers are considered to have made land yachts. Uh, It's true that other countries, other continents, other parts of the world with big manufacturing bases like Japan or European countries eventually made cars that would be larger or that size. But there's a design part of this, an aesthetic, that ties into distinguishing American land yachts. So, for instance, they would have, you know, the white wall tires, body on frame construction, mm-hmm. uh, very, like you said, very heavily cushioned, roomy interior. Yeah. What I loved about the Bonville is it's like I was inviting, you know, I'd be going on a date and I would say, hey, come with me to my rolling studio apartment. <laughs> That's about what much. it was. Yeah. yeah.
2: Really, it was. I mean, they're long, low, and wide, right? Yeah, that yeah. The, exactly. That was the idea. It mm-hmm. was, uh, what, back from Harley Earl's, you know, thought process mm-hmm. back at GM in, in, in the day. And seriously, they're, they're, they're just, you can spot them on the road when you see them. That's one of those things that you just have to see it, and you, once you do, you understand exactly what it is. You don't. You don't think like, well, that's a that could be well, that could be just a, a compact sedan. It's not. It's definitely not a compact. It's more of a land schooner. It, well, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I'm probably overthinking this whole thing. I mean, people understand exactly what a land yacht is. So we think about like big caddies and yeah. vehicles that were maybe even a little taller, a little little bigger than they are today, because you know the the uh, the thought process is now to get them kind of low into the lower the ground a little more aerodynamic and mm-hmm. fuel efficiency is more of a concern now than it was so um, there, there are examples of, of land yachts today that we'll get to that again there's some shockers on that list I, I yeah. there's some that you know about and one thing that we should say is that we realize that there are pickup trucks that and SUVs that right. are longer than the sedans of today yeah, and and yeah. of, and of you know, yesteryear, I guess. You know, they're, they're longer than the old Cadillacs were sure. in some cases.
3: Especially if they got the extended cab, you know what I mean? Oh,
2: yeah, they got the crew cab and then the eight-foot yeah. bed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, with the bumpers that stick out like swim platforms on the back end. And, you know, it, they're, they're enormous trucks, but we're not counting trucks right now. We're talking mm-hmm. about production sedans mm-hmm. in the United States. And so uh, one other quick thing. And this is, the last, and I'll let you finally talk, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing is that um, you got to remember that this is cars that are in the pre-stretch limo phase, so. Uh, When you take take a production vehicle, send it to an aftermarket coach builder and have them stretch Mm -hmm. the frame and body, Mm -hmm. and you can make a car that's you know two hundred feet long if you wanted to, Yeah, just like a hearse or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we're talking about these were built by the manufacturers at this length. This is you know the the wheelbase. This is the length. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them are pretty impressive. Now, uh, you know, I'm going to give it away if I say it too early. Yeah, uh, we've
3: got to wait for that for a second. But I have a question. For you and uh before you answer it uh we'll we'll go to a word from our sponsor but here's the question this is for you scott this is for you rudy this is for everybody listening in the audience should a station wagon be considered a land yacht we'll be right back with scott's answer
4: emotions never forget it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one listen to a really good cry with De devlukia on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
3: and we're back all right scott we we took some time uh during during the ad break here so uh hope that you feel like even though i I did a little bit of gotcha journalism i hope i hope you feel like you've had time to ponder this i'm
2: I'm comfortable with this okay all right the answer is yes yeah you think so oh absolutely yeah there's i mean they're enormous vehicles and they're factory built at that length at that size uh they're just they're huge huge vehicles we're talking about the ones that have you know nine passenger carrying capabilities right uh you know the rearward facing back seats those are the coolest part yeah i know i mean those really some of those are some of the the greatest uh longest vehicles that you'll see on the road these days i mean they're really really cool and and in fact there's a couple of articles that i read that have um kind of elevated these to what they call beautiful works of art really and and they're they're right they're absolutely right when they say that you know some of these older station wagons are among some of the best designed classic cars that are out there they really are cool and I know there's a, there's a faction of people that say that you know I, I just don't like even look, look at the body uh, design right. of, of a wagon versus like a two door coupe or something. That's that's way cooler to have a two door coupe than a four door station wagon that can seat nine people. I see that I I can see that idea for sure,
3: and that's a you know an aesthetic thing. It all goes back to what you want from a particular vehicle. However, I notice that. I'm I'm finally getting old enough, man, where I can see the way things cycle through popular culture, mm-hmm. and in in more than autos. But it applies to autos just as well. And I got to tell you, it's kind of creepy. I finally get what my parents were talking about. But I think that the old school station wagons are due for a a, a pretty big spike or resurgence because a lot of people who would have bought a station wagon. You know, in the past few years, are buying like crossovers. You know what I mean? They're getting like
2: Pacificas and stuff. Yeah. So it's coming back down to smaller again.
3: Yeah, and so I think people will um, eventually, if for nothing more than nostalgia, start really
2: liking station wagons. Well, okay, so (laughs) this may be a stretch, but think about like the Porsche Pan America. Alright. Stretching out a, uh, a Porsche design, yeah, a, yeah. you know, a, a coupe design into a sedan. Yeah. And then where, it's just kind of a short step from there to wagon body, right? True. And, and they also make SUVs. I understand they make, yeah. you know, the, the sporty SUVs. There's other manufacturers that have been doing this all along. Cadillac still makes uh, still makes station wagons. Mm-hmm. Volvo, of course, still makes station okay. wagons. Um, you know, Chrysler for a while had its Magnum that was really cool. That was a, a like a throwback, I guess. Yeah, you know, really yeah. An interesting design. I like that a lot. It's gone now. They don't make it anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that people are going to move back to station wagons at some point. I think it's going to come back with full force, really, because um, what you can do with that much real estate. <laughs> I mean, yeah. for, for the true. designers, must you know what I'm going to say? I, I would guess that designers would really like to design wagons again.
3: Oh yeah, I would think. I would think so. And then, additionally, you know, just from a customization standpoint, there's a lot of stuff that you could do as a car owner in the interior. I don't want to get into uh, accidentally derail us into a station wagon podcast, but I'm I'm glad that. You had that answer. Some people would say that it only applies to um, that a station wagon is too different to a sedan for it to apply. Mm-hmm. But four doors. Four doors. Still has
2: four wheels. Still has four wheels Still just built more seats. At, built from the manufacturer, right off the assembly line, just like that. It's not a custom coach built vehicle. You don't you don't send it out somewhere it not made yeah. into a wagon.
3: It's a sedan with a bigger butt. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> and a lot of
2: you know a lot of times you'll notice that um some of these older vehicles they do they look just like the uh, you know the sedan or the coupe version of the car, which is that that station wagon back end over it. You know, yeah, the, the open back end instead of the trunk, and uh, it, and that was the case with almost all of those. Is that you know mm-hmm. they matched the same wheelbase, mm-hmm. they just had a longer overhang at the back end, or they had you know a dramatically different roofline. But um, it was basically the same car for the front three quarters, and then the back quarter was mm-hmm. what's you know what's new, I guess.
3: So this author uh, Louis Quinteros from uh, Jalopnik agrees with you because one of the first things on his list of the 10 great land yachts is the 1991 chevrolet capri wagon wait
2: 1991 yeah he oh, went into talking? the 90s the buick oh the yeah yeah oh yeah oh the huge yeah Bu- oh i know you're talking like about old, yeah custom
3: cruiser yeah uh so yeah it's the buick roadmaster's return right oh, yeah but then of course that's not in production and the author says that's largely due to SUVs. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm glad that definition checks out with you so I don't have to write them a strongly worded letter. <laughs> a very terse note back to that. A very terse note. <laughs> yes. To whom it may concern. <laughs> uh, the other one that I wanted to that I wanted to ask you about, and if you're cool with it, do you want to trade back and forth some examples? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh the other one that I wanted to ask you about is mercedes-benz 600 1965 Hmm. so this is this is german of course 18 feet long five thousand seven hundred pounds and so
2: uh wait 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 what's the name of the vehicle again it's a uh the mercedes-benz 600 600 okay oh i know what you're talking about this is the dictator's car (laughs)
3: Yeah, Yeah. it's the dictator. Yeah, it seems like everybody...
2: Doesn't it seem that way? Yes, it does.
3: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, this is, you know, uh, Jeremy Clarkson, uh, doofed around with one of these on Top Gear. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting because, for me, before we were doing some research for this show, or for this episode... I had always just thought of land yachts as a very American thing, you know, and I was a little... I mean, it makes sense because it fits the definition. Like you said, you know, four doors, no aftermarket stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just got a a really long length, it's kind of low, it's heavy, it's not
2: nimble. (laughs) No, not in any way. Well, yeah, I mean, I know we're going back and forth with a couple of examples here, yeah. but I just want to point out that there were, there were so many examples that, um, like my friend, my friend in high school, or yeah. friends, I should say, one had a Delta 88, the other one had, um, a Vista Cruiser, a station wagon, like, oh. like on that 70s show, yeah, you know, yeah. the kind that had the little window at the top. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It was used as, his parents owned a hardware store, and they used it kind of as like the, uh, you know, the, the, the hauler, I guess, uh-huh. you know, for stuff they needed back and forth between home and there. And, um, that was a cool car. That was a lot of fun. And then, you know, another friend drove full-size Chevy Caprice, uh, not station wagons, but full-size, you know, big sedans, I guess, that were really boxy, really squared yeah, off, yeah. Had huge engines in them. Um, that's the same friend that had the Vista Cruiser, by the way. Um But yeah, there were people there that had some enormous vehicles, and uh you know it was a lot of fun to hang out in those things. And, and there were other examples from you know more prestigious manufacturers. And oh, you know what? I gotta what? say this before I even forget. Yeah, yeah. There was another friend in high school that had a Checker cab. What? And, yeah, he had a Checker cab. How? At the end of uh, it was somebody I, I I knew through a friend, so I didn't get a ride in it a lot. But uh, he had bought an old uh, decommissioned Checker cab, and it was a, a gray vehicle, almost like a primer gray. It wasn't yellow at the time had I-beams for bumpers, that's how heavy duty this thing was. Oh wow. And when you got in the back seat, you know, there's like three feet of room between your knees and the back seat yeah, you know, yeah. of the I had the back of the front seat, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, an enormous vehicle, but it was a huge, fun car to be in, you know. Did you time, have the plate up? You know, the glass plate. <laughs> no, I didn't have that. It a different time. No, this was all all open inside, but there was just a ton of space inside of it. That's so, crazy, man. Um, the other prestigious ones we're talking about are like, you know, of course we mentioned Cadillac and Lincoln and Buick and, you mm-hmm. know, other, other um, I guess, American brands that had large size sedans could also have, you know um, – well I, I guess what they are sedans big full sized versions of yeah. these things that were full of luxury features so um you know one that kind of gets overlooked here and it's one of the uh, this is an author from uh, my classic garage who wrote an article about some of the longest American cars from the 50s 60s and 70s mm-hmm. this author brings up one of his favorite examples and it's the 1966 Oldsmobile Tornado. And this one gets overlooked a lot. Huh. Because, I mean, it's just not what you typically consider as a land yet. I think this was a front wheel drive car to begin with. That's yeah. something unusual, yeah. different. Um, the production run began in 1966. They had a huge wheelbase for a two door coupe. You gotta consider that it's two doors. Mm-hmm. So it has this real long look anyways. The wheelbase was 119 inches and a total length of 211 inches. So that's a pretty long vehicle. Uh, we're talking about ballpark, I'm going to guess. I don't have the, the calculator in front of me here, but but that's about uh, 18 feet, maybe a few inches less than 18 feet. So it's a big vehicle, um, but that's the kind of size you're talking about for a lot of vehicles that were on the road that in, in that time or that era. Um, other specifics, I guess, um, you can think of, talk about the Continentals. You yeah, know, huge yeah. Continentals. They had enormous V8 engines. Those are a popular choice among um, people looking for old, uh, you know, I guess maybe old hot rods to, you know, restore. Right, and right. I don't know you if you would call it a, a Lincoln hot rod to begin with, but a lot of people have turned them into hot rods because of, uh, you know, the engine, com- engine and transmission combinations that they had mm-hmm. along with these really cool slab side looks. Yeah. Um, so they get turned into something that they. Weren't meant to be original, um, <laughs> but others like to just you know completely restore it. It's sound a little conservative about I mean, that. I mean, honestly, go back and like <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. I guess, honestly, go back and look at just about any vehicle. You can look up uh, specs for any vehicle, right? So yeah. if you type in 1960, uh, let's make something up: Mercury uh, Coupe specs. Mm -hmm. or sedan specs or whatever you're going to find that you know these wheelbases are in the uh, or not wheelbase but the overall lengths are going to be in the 18 foot range for just about everything that they made and that's just one example you could do that for almost any vehicle really of that era Mm -hmm. um, unless it was you know purposely like a sports car or a sedan um, a hatchback or something that was meant to be small
3: it was more like the that longer length and the, the wider frame in general was just more mainstream it was closer to what was considered normal it was common yeah it was common that's Mm -hmm. the perfect word and what we see there too is in some ways the the status symbol part of it because you know yes you're you're buying the family's first car right it's 1950 something Mm -hmm. and you are you've been talking to the dealer Right. And unfortunately for you, this is before car stuff existed. So you, you don't have, you know, you don't have tips and tricks on how to buy cars. It's a few years before us. A little bit, a little bit. And uh and you, you know, you want to get something that makes an impression. You want to be able to haul the kids around and sure. haul stuff. But you also don't want at the time, like your neighbors to come up to you and say, like, oh, Bill. You got, is that even a car, that yeah. tiny thing? Did you, you lose your job, Bill? Yeah. Did you? I, I, I mean, I've never seen a covered go-kart. Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but here's the thing, though. Like, you go you go into a, a showroom in that era, you know, the 50s, yeah. 60s, 70s. Yeah, yeah. Everything you see is going to be big compared to now, really. Yes,
3: and there's an important reason for that. Okay, what's that? Well, I think we mentioned it a little bit earlier, is that beginning with the oil crises oh. in the 1970s the the sort of hierarchy of desires from a car yeah. changed fundamentally even for even for people who ordinarily, would would never worry about that you yeah. know
2: yeah exactly so even if you were, you know stepping into let's say a dodge dart or something like right, that right. now that's not a, a huge car up from that era but it's big compared to a lot of the sedans that we see today or not maybe not sedans but maybe uh maybe some of the two-door coupes that are a little bit on the smaller side now so um it, it's all in per- it's all perspective it's all in uh you know, it's relative I, su- I guess maybe that's a better mm-hmm. way to say it. it's relative so i've got an idea
3: with some of the pros and cons that we've we've outlined so far, we've talked about you know one of the pros, spacious, luxurious, very smooth down the river kind of ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the cons would be, of course, the handling is just piss poor. Can I say that on the air? I think you just did. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right, sorry. Uh, any children or parents listening Again, to the show? PG
2: thirteen. What's happening? We're slipping.
3: We're slipping.
2: <laughs> We're do I need
3: to take it out? No, no, no. <laughs> we'll leave it. All right. Okay. So the, um, the handling is rough. The fuel efficiency is rough. But one thing we
2: didn't talk about in detail was, was the engine, the engine work, the engine specs. Yeah, I guess. And we what we saw is, uh, a lot of, uh, I guess we'll call them truck size engines in cars mm-hmm. of the day. And the thing of, the, uh, here's the, the, the situation with them though they're not quite the powerhouses that we see today you know they weren't uh-huh. uh, extremely well some okay <laughs> i'm going to back this up a little bit i was going to say they weren't high compression real monsters but there were versions of them that were that that were stuffed mm-hmm. into you know smaller body vehicles you know muscle cars of course right. but these these engines that powered some of these great big sedans and these big luxo you know luxury barges i guess yeah. that you know were on the road <laughs> um or luxo barges that was the word That's i was looking for life. yeah they they were um they were giant they were enormous engines but they were relatively underpowered. Uh, so, you know, they had the uh, the two-barrel carbs on them instead of the four-barrel. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I guess this all depends on how you order them, but um, they were paired with, you know, a three-speed automatic transmission that wasn't the fastest-shifting automatic that you could get. It wasn't the manual transmission, of course, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for a little sportier feel. Um, the gearing wasn't exactly the same. So, you know, there was a lot of, um, I wouldn't call it strikes against these engines, but they were enormous V8s that weighed just... They weighed so much, and they, yeah. they put them in the front of these things for the you know the giant rear-wheel drive platforms that they mm-hmm. uh, that they often came with, and you would be surprised by some of the low numbers that came out of these enormous engines. So there are some that you know again there there's ex- you know uh, exceptions to all this. So sure. I found a list of, of um, eight of the biggest V8 engines that Detroit ever sold in a car. Now the problem with the list is. Um, that some of these are also the most powerful engines that, you know, they were also stuffed into some of these, you know, exa- you could order them in the big luxury cars. Right. But they mostly came in the sports cars. The reason that I was intrigued by this article is because it ends with one of the engines that we're going to talk about in the longest production car that we're going to get to at the very end of this podcast. So you see my dilemma here. I can't really even read you number one out of this list yet because I want to wait for the reveal at, at the end.
3: Well, let's get to, let's get up to number two. And then we'll we'll have a little bit of a
2: cliffhanger. All right. So starting here at number eight, the Chrysler 440. That is a uh, that's the now the 440. That's a huge engine to yeah. start with at number yeah. eight on the list. But you know they sold performance versions of this with the you know the, the TNT version um, uh, for some of their their sportier cars, I guess. But but they also sold kind of a, uh, a modest version, I guess, of the 440. Uh, big block, of course. That was that was for you know some of the other vehicles that were more family oriented, I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe that you know didn't have quite the you know the the uh, the output of uh, the ones that were, I guess, geared more towards the the sporty buyer. Right, right. I'm probably right. overstating all this, but uh, um, as you as you could guess. Uh, performance started out really high back in 1965 when they first launched this thing, and by 1978 it had dropped all the way down. So, uh, and the reason was because of, um, emission regulations. So, starting out, you know, like at 375 horsepower in, you know, around 1967-68, um, they could even produce more than that. It was almost up to 400 horsepower. Uh, if you had two three-barrel three barrel carburetors on it, you know, with the, with the six-pack version or um, a 446 barrel for Plymouth as well. Um, oh, the, uh, the six-pack, by the way, is for Dodge. I should have mentioned that. Uh, but um, but th- the point is that, you know, these could be kind of hopped up, I guess, to make, mm-hmm. uh, make a better version of them. Um, but in 1972, all of these engines that we're going to talk about, everyone across the board was really pared back because, or pared down. Because they lowered the compression ratio for a lot of them, uh, they had more conservative cam timing for a lot of them, mm-hmm. and of course other changes to comply with these stricter emissions controls that came into place. And of course, um, you know, the 440 was one that suffered, so it dropped down to like 335 horsepower around 1972. And then you know if you want, that was just gross horsepower. You want to talk about like the SAE net horsepower, the net horsepower rating? Yeah, it was all the way down to two hundred twenty-five at that point. From and, three from like three ninety, right? Yeah, three ninety down to that, or three seventy-five, let's say. Okay, yeah, and then. Even more in 1978, it dropped all the way down to 255, and at that point, they only allowed it to be used in, you know, police car applications or maybe, you know, taxis or, or something like that. Oh, so wow. all of the engines that we're going to talk about dropped in power or output like that. And it's not necessarily that they they were producing less; it was just they were choked even more, or the, you know, fuel economy became more of a concern. And these are the engines that they were stuffing in some of these bigger cars. And this is across cars. the board. Again, yeah, yeah, that's right. They were across the board. All U.S. manufacturers had to deal with the same type of thing. So, you know, that's just one example. But um, some other engines that were thrown into both sports cars and sedans. Yeah. There's a three way tie for number five the Pontiac 455, the Oldsmobile 455, yeah. and then the Buick 455. And those are all different engines. They've all got their own specs and uh, data that you can look through. And number four on the list is the Lincoln 460, uh, which you might have already guessed. But then uh, <laughs> number three would be the Lincoln 462. And, and, you know, you would think that that's such a small distinction there you know up to you know two cubic inches what's the big difference is it's completely different engine it's a, so yeah it's different so uh, it, architecture it, it warrants its own you know a uh, place on the list i guess yeah. there's a modern version for number or modern engine rather for uh, number two and it's kind of the, the bringing back of the, uh, the the old big block chevy engine and this is the uh the Vortech 8100 and essentially, this is the four fifty four big block that has been increased or upped uh-huh. uh, to about four hundred and ninety six cubic inches um, by you know increasing the stroke on the thing. So again, that's a modern version. And the number one engine on this list is the one that I can't tell you about because that's <laughs> one we're going to talk about with the largest or the longest production car that the us. ever produced. That was a long list, but you know what? If you dig into it, there's a lot of detail uh, from – there's a site called gearheads.org that mm-hmm. I went to for that, and you can read all about it, and you can argue with uh, you know the specs and stats that are on that site.
3: And one thing I will say to put some uh, some fuel on the fire here for the land yacht purist is that that modern engine you mentioned, the Vortec, is uh, used for – Chevy and GMC trucks, vans, and Suburbans.
2: Yeah, but the reason that they included it on this list, and you would think that why is it on yeah. the car list, is because those vehicles can use car license plates. So, the, yeah. yeah, that's the, that's the one. That's the one reason that it, it qualified for mm. this list. This, the the rules, I guess, that the author put together for this list. It can use passenger car plates, and so the idea is that um, you know this thing. Uh, Kind of resembles, I guess, the old 454 big block, but it's it's uh, it's it's upped a little bit. I think we've
3: added our our uh, gasoline to the fire now. (laughs) So, what is number one? What is the uh, mystery we've been teasing for this episode? Uh, We'll be back with the answer after a word from our sponsor.
4: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Oh, and we're back. That was a that was a rough I- intro to our ad. Uh, you almost forgot what we were talking about. Man. I know. I, I
2: right, know. On to the next. Uh, on to the next show. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, Any segue you can walk away from, right? <laughs> That's it's, exactly right. But let's
3: uh, let's let's not keep the people waiting any longer Uh, i'd like to ask for a drum roll from our super producer dylan scott benjamin
2: what is the largest of the land yachts the 1974 to 1976 cadillac fleetwood 75
3: and it's huge it's huge that's right (laughs)
2: yeah and it's uh it's a giant vehicle it's 21 feet in length that's it's incredible. It's it's two hundred fifty two point two inches overall. If you want to get the, you know the uh, you know mm-hmm. the, what you'll read in the uh, in the papers, I guess. Um, <laughs> no one reads papers anymore. That's what you're going to find on all the uh, the auto blogs. Uh, the wheelbase of this thing is one hundred fifty one point five inches. So that means that, you know, from wheel center to wheel center, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on this vehicle, you're talking about 12 half feet between the wheels. It's a huge car. It's enormous. I mean, try to picture that in your garage the next time you go home. There's there are photos of this online of one that was, I guess, kind of spotted in the wild, right? Yeah. And I think the one that they saw was a 1973, which is two inches shorter than the 1974 to, through mm-hmm. 1976 version, um, and it's longer than the box truck that is parked next to. That gives you an idea of how big this thing is. So most it's crazy, most modern garages will not fit a uh, this vehicle. It's it's too long. I've got ai got a house. My my house is built in. Uh, let's see. Nineteen ninety four, I think it was. Okay, so you have, a, you have a modern house. Uh, I was going to say maybe not even modern. It's an older house, really. I mean, nineteen ninety four. Uh, what is it? Twenty three years old now at this point. Oh, oh yeah, no, it just hit me. Time to trash that place. I'm trying, <laughs> trying to move on. No, I'm just kidding. It's a it's it's a uh, it's a relatively newer place. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, my house in Michigan was built in 55, and it had a nice, deep garage, and there was a reason for that. Mm-hmm. It's because they had these giant vehicles. So you, you needed that extra length to be able to park in there. Well, uh, when I brought my latest car home, my uh, my project car, this is years ago now, mm-hmm. I did some careful, careful measuring to make sure that it wouldn't stick out of the back end. I'd be able to close the garage door behind it. Yeah. There'd be no way with this one. I have a I have a total of 19 feet of length in my garage. If That's if you touch the front wall, and that's where the garage door closes to. So, you know, let's say... I have eighteen feet eleven inches to play with in the garage, and that's it. And it nearly takes up that for my Chrysler. But this this caddy would stick almost three feet. Well, I guess it'd be uh, two feet out of the back end of that thing. It wouldn't be able to close the garage. Uh, so that would be a problem for a lot of people. um The weight of this thing, this this <laughs> this behemoth, is nearly six thousand pounds. It's like twenty pounds shy of six thousand pounds. So it's a three ton car uh, mm-hmm. that's on the road. And it, again. I want to make uh, I want to make this clear. What we're talking about here is a uh, it's a limo body, and you may think that that disqualifies it from our list because it's mm-hmm. a limo. But this is a factory built limo. It wasn't a, a limo that they sent out for production. You know, again, to a custom coach builder. This is something that GM built on the assembly line, and therefore it qualifies as you know one of these uh, the, the largest vehicles ever. They sold thousands of these. They sold something like you know fifteen hundred to two thousand every year. Um, and they really weren't terribly expensive. They were about twelve thousand dollars around that you know ballpark. And I know that when you start loading it with features and uh, you know extras and add-ons, it gets to be quite a bit more. But um, ballpark twelve thousand dollars at the time. And that's uh, if you want to adjust that for now. Yeah, it's a right around sixty thousand dollars. You know, again ballpark. Yeah, still si- expensive. Sixty grand. But you're huh? getting a Cadillac limo. Yeah, for sixty grand. Yeah,
3: I mean. If 60 grand is too rich for your blood, what are you doing in the limo game?
2: <laughs> and, and you know, we mentioned, you know, that Cadillac continued to build limos for a long time after this. It's just mm-hmm. that they sent them out to these custom coach builders. And that mm-hmm. happened right around, again, no coincidence here, right around 1977 when they started to shorten the Cadillac. They started to downsize Caddy. Mm-hmm. And so from 77 until about, I want to say, it's testing the lengths of my memory here, the, the, the depths of my memory, Ben. I want to say 87. Is when they stopped building uh selling the they stopped,
3: Fleetwood wood uh, entirely?
2: they stopped building the they stopped shipping Cadillacs out from the factory to be stretched into limousine form. Oh. So that kind of shut down the whole process right around nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. Um okay. Now we need to get to the engine. Uh, these are enormous cars. I mean, is there more that you want to say about the interior of them? Because they're impressive. I think you've got it, man. Yeah, they're big. They're big cars. They have things like <laughs> that's funny. Is, the the one that we're looking at here in this uh, in this photograph has a TV antenna on back. It looks kind of like the tail of a jet. <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, Those yeah. Guys, Like a big Boss Hog t- style uh, <laughs> um, caddy with uh, you know these these just weird looking antenna thing on the back. It's, it's nothing like the new, the mm-hmm. modern antennas. Uh, the Engines. Okay. The engines. These are the big engines. Now these are I, I guess you could call them. I hate to say this because this is a you know superlative. I guess the world's largest production v8 engines that power sedans and i hate it now i, I know that someone will contest this you know, there, there's say like, some caveats but yeah, i think
3: I, I think you're you're pretty accurate because we, we say that again so everybody can walk through it the world's largest v8
2: engines Powering, powering production uh, sedans. Powering production sedans. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of caveats, and again, from the factory. So I know that people stuff larger engines in there, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. we, you know, modifications aside, um, you know, these, these giant Cadillac engines. Now, up until 1968, they used a 429 V8. This big engine. Right? Not, mm-hmm. not too small, but by 1968, I believe it was that I just said, uh, they had already been surpassed by, like, the Chrysler 440 or Lincoln's 460 and 462 engine that they had now that we mentioned just a moment ago. So they upped it to about 472 cubic inches. And again, this displacement, you know, 7.73 liters, it's a huge, huge engine, but there was a, a possibility of upping this. Uh, I design up to a 600. If you, uh, board and stroke this engine, it could, it could have a potential of being a 600 cubic inch displacement engine from the same block. So, again, same. Well, anyways, you get the idea. Yeah. Um, it had 375 horsepower, 525 pound-feet of torque at just 3,000 revolutions per minute. So uh, this thing is only like 80 pounds heavier than its uh, than the old 429 that it replaced. Mm-hmm. And this was the one that was used through 1974. But by then, in 1970, they already had another option optional engine available. And that was the 500-cubic-inch engine from Cadillac. Wow. Now, it's been, it sounds really impressive, right? But, right. So we do need to step back a couple of years here, though, because in 1970, Cadillac fitted a crankshaft with the longer stroke on this engine block and you know achieved, as we said before, it had a potential for 600 cubic inches. They've now upped it to 500 cubic inches from the factory. So you can get a 500-cubic-inch engine, an 8.2 liter, from the factory uh, the horsepower output was a you know gross house horsepower rather was about 400 horsepower and 550 pound feet of torque. So that's pretty strong. Wow, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, but yeah. again, massive car, six thousand <laughs> six thousand pound car. Now <laughs> right. keep but keep that in mind when you realize that in 1971 they re- uh, reduced compression from 10.1 to 8.5 to one, and the lower compression ratio dropped the 500s output from about 400 horsepower to about 365 horsepower. Um, sometimes, well, I guess if you want to look at the SAE ratings that we mentioned before, you know, with all the uh, add-ons and you know yeah. emissions restrictions, etc., it's down to like 235 horsepower at this point, and that's not the bottom end, because in 1976, the final year, all of the stuff combined, you know, everything that they kept adding on and piling on with right. the regulations right, right, and right, right. restrictions, Safety stuff. Yeah, this 500 cubic inch engine in 1976 had it had something like 190 horsepower, down to 190. 400, You know, when it was launched in 1970. So just six years, and they shut it down. Now, there was an aftermarket, or, or a, I shouldn't say aftermarket, but there's a, a different type of electronic fuel injection system that you could get as an option, and that increased the power output to about 215. But again, that's half of what it was when it was launched in 1970. So you can see where this re, these restrictions really cut into, uh, you know, the, the performance of the vehicle. Right. Uh, and the performance, <laughs> it's another thing that I should mention here. Oh, man, there's so much to cover in this uh, this episode. On the 1974 Cadillac Fleetwood 75. Yeah, astonished me with these stats. Again, well, 10.2 miles per gallon was about <laughs> what you could expect, right? Wow. And that was probably really, you know, that, that's kind of probably geared a little bit towards fuel economy at that point you know because that's the the era that we were going through so a little bit towards that not as much towards performance so it's somewhere in between like a you know it's still drivable it's transitioning yeah so 10.2 miles per gallon is what you could expect out of this particular vehicle zero to 60 time was 12.6 seconds I don't know. How do you get on the highway? (laughs) Well that's the thing. You gotta get a good running start at it I guess. And then once you get on the highway, the top speed was only 109 miles per hour. Not that you're gonna wanna take, you know, a car that's 21 feet long. Right. And 6,000 pounds up to 109 miles per hour. But maybe you would. Who knows? Uh, like the salt flats or something? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it depends, <laughs> on how many, it depends on how many bodies you got in the trunk. Because that trunk was like an eight-body trunk, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. a big one.
3: That's back from when they used to uh, rate land yachts
2: by how many bodies you could fit in the trunk. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about drive-in movies, of course. <laughs> right. Sneaking into drive-in. Oh. What were you talking about? The, the same thing? Oh, yeah, I'm sure you're right.
3: <laughs> uh, This was also, interestingly <laughs> enough, uh, this engine family was the
2: last of Cadillac's cast iron engines. Yeah, the great big V8s, uh, you know, well, the, the, the big blocks, I guess. Yeah, the Maybe big the blocks. Big, big block caddies, really. Yeah. Um, okay, oh, well, there's one more thing that we need to cover here that we've uh, neglected. Right, which is that uh, although
3: the Fleetwood holds the current title, uh, fear not, the, the era of land yachts, while diminished, continues in the modern
2: day. Yeah, there's this uh, constant you know, fluctuation between sizes of vehicles. We notice that now they're kind of getting bigger, right? Cars yeah. are starting to get bigger. Yeah. So like, then we've talked about this, the minis getting a little bit bigger, sedans are starting to get a little longer, a little wider, a little lower again. Actually,
3: because I have to be honest, man, uh, if I if I recall correctly, when we talked about, you know, the the cycle of cars shrinking and expanding, I was the one complaining about the, I was the one complaining about the, the mini, and I I, I remember, uh, ranting, you know, like don't call it a mini,
2: yeah. If exactly. you keep
3: making it bigger,
2: <laughs> that's right. Look at some of the the fiats that they make now, uh, you know, the Chrysler fiats or Fiat Chryslers that, that are on the street now. Some of those are, are really big cars. I mean, they're they're great big hatchback. Well, Anyways, yeah. getting off track here. Let's uh, let's talk about this list that I I pulled from a blog site called Zero to Sixty Times and. It's funny they they completely ignore the the classic vehicles here. They, they, this is more of a modern list, I guess. The largest cars in the world, and I think it it the point of this list is that it's current production. And again, excluding SUVs and you know the big trucks and stuff, we know there are bigger vehicles right, than that. Right. I'm just going to hit you with the number one vehicle, the longest one. Right. I don't think it'll surprise anybody, but it's a Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce, it makes sense, right? Yeah. I'm okay. Not well, you'd think that Cadillac or Rolls Royce or something would yeah, still yeah, be up there, yeah. or maybe even Lincoln, uh, but it's a 2013 Rolls Royce Phantom extended wheelbase, which has a, a wheelbase of 200. Th- I'm sorry, not a wheelbase. It has an overall length uh-huh. of 239.8 inches. That's just under 20 feet. So, even so, the current largest car in the world um, is still. Uh, what? What a foot, a little more than a foot shorter than that Cadillac that we just talked about. Yeah,
3: man. Can you imagine parallel parking that thing? <laughs> you
2: don't even know if you would attempt to parallel park that.
4: Thing.
3: Yeah, you would just be like, I don't need to go okay. to this
2: place. Yeah, where's the uh, where's the semi parking? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> it's a you know place where you don't have to back up
3: at all ever. Yeah, but I I gotta be honest, man. I I wish that I had been alive in the time where that was the normal. You know, like mm-hmm. those. Late 50s, early 60s, just cherry cars. Yeah. Uh And I, I remember, you know, that was one of the things that we had talked about briefly when we looked at the cars of Cuba in a podcast ages ago, uh, where that would be the that's like outside of a car show
2: that's the closest place to that sort of experience yeah. that we could find. Yeah, exactly, you're right. Uh, with some mm-hmm. of the old classics the the giant boats that the, the, the driver on there. Now this list it includes 50 of the largest cars in the world. So I'm not going to read all these I promise, but there's some surprises on this yeah. list. Once A so- lot of these are separated by just, you know, like, you know, 0.1 of an inch, you know. So very very small um small small difference but yeah right. I, I guess uh, I, a minimal difference between each one of these so as we go up the list you know starting down at number 50 the the 2013 ferrari ff is on the list that's the the, the mm-hmm. uh, number 50 on the, on the list with 193.2 inches overall length um going up some of the surpri- i'll just read the surprises because that's what we're yeah like yeah looking yeah, for. yeah number 41 on the list is the 2013 toyota avalon oh by the way this list is probably built in 2014, if I had to guess. I'm, yeah. I, there's no date on this. I'm guessing 2013, 2014, based on the uh, you know, the years, the models that we'll see. Um, again, the Toyota Avalon comes in at, the, at number 41, so that gives you an idea of where we're headed here. Um, Tesla, the 2013 Tesla Model S comes in at number 37 on this list. Kind of shocking. I know it's a big car, but I didn't yeah. know it was among the biggest on the road right now. Thirty seventh, Yeah, 37th on the list. That's relatively high, right? It's getting up there. Number 24, the 2013 Dodge Charger. I wouldn't have guessed that. I don't know why I would not guess that. Number 19 on the list, so climbing up even higher, the 2014 Chevy Impala is on the list at at 201.3 inches as an overall length. And here's the one that is probably the most surprising and the highest on the list out of the ones that are surprises, I Mm -hmm. guess. Number fifteen on the list is the 2013 Ford Taurus. Huh? Is not that strange? Yeah. I mean, I see those on the road all the time. I would never guess that's the fifteenth longest road on the uh, vehicle on the road um, in 2013 or 2014. I wouldn't guess that. Sixteen point nine feet long. That's a that's a long vehicle. Dude, that's wild! Yeah, almost seventeen feet long for uh, a um, again a, a Ford Taurus. I guess I don't really know a land yacht when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it has a, it has a different appearance. It's maybe a little bit uh, a little bit taller. You know, it yeah, uh, more yeah. of a, a I don't know. I wouldn't say a road presence, but it's I would a, say stance. It's got a different stance. Yeah, than a land it does. Yacht. It does. Yeah, but uh, I just thought that was a big surprise. You know, because if you go down this list, it's you know Rolls Royce, Bentley, Audi, Jaguar, Mercedes, all the yeah. luxury marks. Yeah, yeah. And then number fifteen is the Ford Taurus. Yeah. Ford Taurus, yeah, and the Charger, I think more of a as
3: I think of more as a performance car. You yeah, know? I
2: guess I think it evolved into that over the years. Now this is yeah. a 2013 list; that's four years ago. Back yeah, then, that's it was true. A, it was a, a slightly different animal back then. That's a
3: good point. Yeah. So, with this, uh, we want to thank you again, Rudy, for the excellent suggestion. And I wanted to ask you this, Scott: Do you think we'll see a continuing trend of? larger and larger vehicles
2: i feel that we will yeah i think that lincoln the lincoln brand is coming back strong with uh, some of these big luxury vehicles that people wanted back you know 30 years ago Mm -hmm. and i think they're going to continue to build big sedans that become more and more luxurious and longer in wheelbase longer in longer in length and i think caddy is going to have to respond to that by kind of going away from the direction they've gone now with you know sportier sedans Mm -hmm. back to some of the big luxury you know, again, luxury barges that we see on the, or have seen on the road from them in the past. I, I think that that's my gut feeling is that people are going to want maybe not so much the crossover that's luxurious and feels good, or the you know the even the pickup trucks you know that are luxurious and feels good on the road, but they're going to want you know more of the uh, the comfort and the style of the the old classic sedan it, with you know modern elements. Of course, it's going to have modern technology. It's going to have modern look it's just going to be the size of those old vehicles it's going to be like a you know rolling studio apartment like you said <laughs> so what do you think do you you have a gut feeling on this yeah
3: i think it's tied to i think it's honestly in many ways tied to the price of gas mm-hmm. so as we see the cost of energy lowering or uh, you know as we see that spiking or falling then we kind of see a correlation with the
2: kind of cars people want to buy yeah sure all these uh these outside factors that influence what we buy um Mm -hmm. it seems like almost overnight doesn't it the way that it fluctuates the way it feels yeah it's weird how quickly the response occurs but
3: yeah i think so and personally i don't have anything against smaller cars i just I, i like the bigger ones because if you're on a road trip or something or you need to haul something you know is is a mini the right choice so yeah, I guess it's you were... just so I'm saying it's just because of what I like to do with a vehicle. Yeah, uh, they're you know, bigger cars are just better for me. Uh, but,
2: oh wait, wait, we what? can't we can't go on right now. We got we got to talk about one more quick thing. What's that? Well, two things, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we mentioned earlier that we think that maybe. Um, Uh, station wagons are making a comeback so uh, let's hope that that happens that that, that more manufacturers come out with more station wagon designs and we haven't given Dylan his nickname yet I'm hoping good save let's how about this Dylan the Chopper because I hope he chops out a lot of that rambling that I had somewhere in the middle there (laughs) and this becomes a shorter podcast (laughs) that our listeners will never know about then because he's done his job right. he's he's cut it down (laughs) that's true he's like the
3: invisible hand
2: of our show unless they still hear it and say my god how long did he talk because (laughs) But, uh, but, yeah, no, let's say no, the, no. Uh, the chopper or, um, how about, chopper. uh, doesn't relate one. to today's topic, though? Uh, Dylan Big Block, Fagan. I like it. <laughs> I
3: like it. <laughs> well, we'll see. And if you have any suggestions for, uh, Dylan's, uh, nickname for this episode, let us know. Uh, longtime listeners, you know, this is the part of the show where Scott and I end up going off the air to, continue looking at this stuff. I'm going to look up prices for station wagons. I'm not going to buy one, I think. I'm just going to look look a window
2: shop. Yeah, see if there's any... Uh, I'm going to look around on Craigslist and see if there's any uh, Fleetwood 75s for sale.
3: Oh, this is going to be like the go-kart thing all over Yeah, here. I
2: know. It's, there's there's absolutely no room for this thing. I could even park it diagonally in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny thought, isn't it? Yeah, to... <laughs> hopefully it comes with a, like a portable garage. Uh,
3: but... You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. In the meantime, we're CarStuffHSW on both of those. You can check out the episodes we mentioned previously on our website, CarStuffShow.com, where we have every audio episode we've ever produced. And stay tuned. We will be back next week. I don't want to spoil it too much, but we'll be back next week with a little bit of a different story, another listener suggestion
2: about a disaster at sea. All right, sounds good. I'm 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 on the edge of my seat right now, Ben. Right, right. What? And well, I even know what it is. But I'm on the edge you know, of my seat.
3: What did you used to say? Pay, you pay for the whole seat, but you only need the edge. Yes, yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> the
2: old uh, you know monster truck uh, ads from radio. Remember? Yeah,
3: that's yes. And Monster Jam's coming to Atlanta in March. It is. It'll be
2: here soon. Uh, oh, yeah. you know what? That's the final event for the uh, the Philips Arena. Is that right? Or the Georgia Dome, which is it? I can't remember. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it's the final thing. It's going to be like the last thing before they, they completely tear it down.
3: Uh, I hope we get to go. Yeah. Uh, provided we survive next week's vicarious maritime disaster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you have a suggestion for our super producers' nicknames, uh, or if you have some uh, strong opinions on land yachts, or just a, just a fond memory of the, the best land yacht you ever drove.
2: Or you can tell me if they're going to tear down the, the Georgia Dome or Phillips Arena. I don't remember which one it is. Cause, yeah, because we don't want you to accidentally show up there and then be caught in the, in the demolition. <laughs> well, they're side by side. Come on. Someone could make that mistake. <laughs>
3: well let uh, yeah, so set us straight on that one. And, uh, if you, if you're not given to the social media rigmarole, uh, no worries. You can directly contact us
2: via email. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com. And I really want that answer.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.
2: From finding that initial
3: spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Without the ones like you who work
2: tirelessly to keep things running,
3: everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants,
2: they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done.
3: At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click or just stop by. Grainger, for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise.